Welcome to the Fraudian Slip, the Identity Theft Resource Center's podcast where we talk about all things identity compromise, crime, and fraud that impact people and businesses. I'm James Lee, the COO of the ITRC, and this is a very special month for both the ITRC and the National Cybersecurity Alliance, or NCSA. It's Cybersecurity Awareness Month, that time of the year when we devote four weeks to discussions about how to keep organizations and individuals safe in the digital world. And as usual, real-world events keep reinforcing the need for all of us to be more cyber-savvy so we can be more cyber-secure. So far this month, we've learned that there have been more data breaches caused by cyber attacks this year than there were data breaches in 2020. We've also learned that there are fewer than 250 data compromises away from breaking the all-time record for data breaches and exposures in a single year. Next week, the ITRC will release a new report that confirms what many small business owners and leaders already know. There is no quarter given by threat actors to small businesses. The companies that are least able to easily prevent or recover from a security breach, data breach, or both. Joining us to talk about how you can protect your business, your family, and yourself is the ITRC's CEO, Eva Velasquez and Zarmina Wasim, Director of Cyber Education at the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Now, thanks to both of you for being here today. Tell us a little bit about NCSA, but more importantly, about Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and and what should we all know about cybersecurity that we don't already know? I'd be happy to. So uh, the National Cybersecurity Alliance, um, part of our mission is to help create a safer and more secure interconnected world. As we know, um, the interconnected world is going to be growing exponentially over the next few years um, as the Internet of Things and smart devices um, become more and more enmeshed with what we do. Um, So we just want everyone both at home and at work to be prepared for that ecosystem. Cybersecurity Awareness Month is a great time to um, refresh your basics I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements where I've been doing what we might call a security 101 um, or security back to basics for several different companies. And it has been a resounding success. We've had a a lot of great feedback. So I think no matter where you are in your security journey, it doesn't hurt to refresh on your basics, especially if you are someone who is super advanced in your security knowledge at this point in time. it's just a really good check on your security hygiene from the bottom up, right? So I think that's that's one thing as an individual. And as, as a business, you could do the same thing, but I would recommend businesses right now stay uh, laser focused on ransomware because that is a threat that's been up and coming over the past few years. And it's not only made its mark, but it's continuing to make even larger impacts today and I'm really glad that you mentioned some of the statistics about this month and security breaches that we're seeing. That's not to scare anyone, right? We want people to be informed so that they can turn to um, organizations like yours and like ours to empower themselves with the information and knowledge that they need. The NCSA is really fortunate to be uh, working hand in hand with uh, CISA and to be able to support, I guess, Cybersecurity Awareness Month in what I think we're in our 17th year now. Um, So yeah, I think that's something to be celebrated. I think we all get really bogged down with how hard it is to make sure we're reaching the right amount of people or that we're reaching 
enough people with the information that we have. But I would say we should stop and celebrate those little wins as well. <laughs> well, that's a great point. You know, and, and Eva, you know, we talk to victims at the ITRC every day and we hear firsthand from them what their concerns are. And, you know, this is something that it really impacts everybody and everybody is at a different place in their cybersecurity journey, uh, how much they know. What is it that, that if you were talking to a victim, what would you tell them today? I think that first and foremost, I would tell them, yes, these principles, they do apply to you. I, I think we have to really start at that level because so many of the folks that we talk to are, look, these are crime victims. They are definitely traumatized and they are confused and they don't understand how did this happen to me because they feel like this, these things, these principles don't really apply to me. Uh, I'm not super digitally connected. I'm not engaged. And Zarmina, to your point about talking about this entire ecosystem, I think there's still a lot of consumer confusion about what their place is in the ecosystem to the point where they think they're not in it. And I, you know, we have to tell people everyone is in it. Oh, well, I don't really use technology that often. And then if you, if you start you know, talking to them and walking them through it, they realize, oh, I, I actually do have a, you know, a connected vehicle because I have a relatively new car. Oh yeah, I do have, uh, you know, a thermostat and all of these devices and things. They think if they're not either on social media or don't heavily engage online, that they're not part of the ecosystem. So that is, I think the biggest piece that I would tell them. And for the victims, I would also tell them, you know, one, it's not your fault, nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about because there's still a lot of shame and embarrassment. And a lot of our kind of low tech savvy folks that get, get swept up in these, in these waves. I mean, right now we're hearing about um, so social media uh, scams and account takeover has really been taking over our contact center. And so many of these folks, um, you know, they've dipped their toe in and they've engaged in a, in a pretty minimal way but they don't realize how that increases their risk and therefore how important it is for them to be paying attention to things like this awareness, like good cyber hygiene. Let's, let's spend the next few minutes talking about sort of the, the big chunk topics that, that, you know, we hear and we see, and I'm going to pose the, whatever the topic is to both of you. And, you know, Zermina, uh, if you could talk about sort of the business side of the issue and, and obviously Eva, if you'll talk on the consumer side, but let's start with ransomware because Zermina, you mentioned that. Uh, and, you know, in the, in our most recent data breach report that the ITRC issued um, early this month, very, very solidly is the number two reason why data breaches occur today. And impacts mm -hmm. a lot of people. Uh, there have been more ransomware attacks in just the first three quarters of this year, it's the first nine months, than there were in all of 2020 and 2019 combined. So this is clearly something that's impacting people and it's here. So Zermina, what should businesses be doing uh, to protect themselves and, the, and their customers from these kinds of attacks? A couple of things. I would say if you're not training on phishing, first of all, you know, make sure that you're training the heck out of phishing. Everyone from the CEO to technical support to uh, anyone that touches customer data should understand what phishing is and know how to 
identify it, uh, know where to report it. Um, and your company should have already identified what your critical um, documents or critical assets are as far as um, security is concerned to be able to back them up. So when people say have backups, that's that's what we're talking about. And then of course, making sure that you're performing updates, whether that's on an operating system or whether that's on a specific application or program, um, always perform your updates so that there's no uh, exploitable areas on your on your devices. Eva, you know, this is one of those topics where, you know, individuals are not, it's not that they're risk-free here, but they're not really the target of most ransomware attacks. What, what should people do though? Just consumers, what should they do to prepare themselves if, if they find out that their data has been compromised that way? Well, I think it's, it's about understanding, uh, what data first what data has been compromised because as you know not all compromises are created equal and you have to take a, a targeted approach and that's a great way for individuals to not feel overwhelmed um, i do want to back up and just say that all of the points that zarmina made they actually do apply to individuals um, things like making sure that you're updating your devices and applying those patches. That's really important. And that's an easy thing that individuals can do to their own devices, especially while they may not be the target, um, their access point into their uh, systems, their employer systems, if, they're, if they've got their own personal device that they're using, especially with folks working from home, that's critically important. And then also um, just changing default passwords. Uh, I won't get into deeply to the whole password management thing. We know that's a huge problem, but it is a great step for individuals just to remember that good password hygiene is, it's that low hanging fruit. And when they don't realize that, yeah, I do have a home network, you know, I have a router, I have these things in my home, but they didn't change the default password. That's just a huge wide open door. For these kinds of threats, people don't realize it, and it's such an easy fix. So those are the kind of the two big things I would tell individual consumers, along with the things that Zarmina was saying for businesses. Those do apply to a degree to individual folks. Can I just add one more thing to what Ava was saying? You, um, you absolutely may. <laughs> with uh, password security, it's as as you said, some of the lowest hanging fruit, but it can have some of the strongest impact if you do it well. Um, for example, you know, just making sure that you're not using the same passwords on your personal accounts or your home network that you might be using for work accounts. Um, it, those really small things can have a very large impact if you ever experience a data breach on a personal level or at at your business or your place of work as well. So I just wanted to reiterate that that's a really solid point that she made. A lot of times what threat actors want are logins and passwords. And um, the, the primary means of getting that is phishing. And phishing isn't just about emails anymore. It's texts, it's websites, it's social media. They're not all so obviously fake as they were a couple of years ago with bad spelling, bad grammar, you know, fuzzy logos, 
you know, now the bad guys have tools to make those things letter perfect. So if you're on the business side of this equation, Zarmina, how do businesses protect themselves from this ever-expanding threat matrix? So as I mentioned before, I think that you can never overtrain on phishing since we are talking about that. Um, phishing is one of those methods that is evergreen. It has been used for decades at this point, and it's not going anywhere because all it takes is one click or one response. Um, and a lot of times people don't realize that there may be um, other parties logged into their account already and using their account to solicit data from other people. Um, I think this is a great question because a lot of times when we talk about phishing, we think about um, email only. And while that is the most con conventional form of phishing, I think the best thing that anyone can do is inform their business on the different types of phishing. Um, there's voice phishing, there's text message phishing, and a lot of people experience personal text message phishing during um, the pandemic and while while people were working from home more often than not. So people have more of an eye to be able to recognize these things because they've experienced it, right? Um, so not only should we be making sure that everyone is, understands the different types of phishing, but continuously training on how to be able to recognize those things is super duper important because the thing that the fishers are relying on is that we are super busy and that we're working very quickly all the time. And I know a lot of us do this um, and that we, we will inevitably, because we're doing things quickly and efficiently, um, respond or click on something that we shouldn't. So if I was to give some phishing advice right here, right now, I would say the best thing you can do is slow down um, and check sender or verify whoever is uh, calling you, messaging you, or emailing you. You have every right to do that, regardless of who the entity claims to be that is reaching out to you. Even if they claim to be a coworker, you have every right to say, I'm not responding to this email. I'm actually going to call this person direct to make sure that this is a legitimate request. Um, so just small things like that and making sure that you report phishing just like every other cyber crime is uh, widely underreported. And we would always want you to overreport rather than underreport wherever you can because you might be immunizing an entire team. You might be immunizing the entire company. You have no idea what the impact of a small action like that could be. All of those actions um, completely and totally apply to individual consumers. And we have to remember that Every employee, you know, at a business is also an individual consumer. So taking that, if you have training offered by your employer, taking that and realizing that it applies in your personal life and just your daily life as well as when you've got your, you know, your work hat on, I think that's first and foremost. And then, you know, for, I think everyone from the leadership at an organization to all the individuals has an obligation to build that culture of cybersecurity and cyber awareness and phishing is just a huge part of that. So it's not just about how do you spot phishing, which kind of, you know, Zarmina already covered, but it's also having processes in place to what do you do with legitimate requests and does leadership um, celebrate the, the 
the employees, the teams that may ask those questions that do say, I, this doesn't look right to me. I'm going to verify this. I didn't initiate this contact. I'm going to verify this in another manner. And we're also busy. And there's this, this notion, this feeling, well, if it comes from someone in leadership or, you know, my boss, I need to respond right away. But if you take the time to verify that, my hope is that employers also celebrate that and say, even though it was a legitimate request, you did the right thing. Those people should be just as celebrated as the person who does catch the phishing attempt and saves the day for the company. Social engineering, because again, this is one of those things that uh, if, if, you, if you take the, the, the previous two topics, it, the, the natural extension of that is how do those things happen sometimes? It's social engineering and somebody basically tricks another person into either giving away information or giving away something that allows an attack to occur. What should we be doing about social engineering? Can I jump in and just level set here a little bit for the the listeners who maybe aren't super familiar with that term? We have to remember that it's a technique. So social engineering is it's the, you know, exploitation of the human psychology rather than this kind of more technical. And I, we have a great example that we're seeing right now that I think is a little bit of a, a twist on this whole thing. And that's, we've just been inundated with uh, Google voice scam uh, victims uh, in our contact center. And what we've sort of figured out through this process is that the bad actor is contacting an individual. Often they have something, uh, they're trying to sell something. They're either on a marketplace or they're a small business owner. Maybe, you know, they have, they, they go through Etsy, whatever that is. But what the scammer is doing is saying, hey, I want to do business with you. You need to verify that you're legitimate. And what that does is it gets people saying, well, I'm trustworthy. I can verify that I am who I am and this is real. And I need to do that. I'm not a scammer. And so when the, when the bad actor then asks them, hey, share that code, that verification code, even though it says right on there when they get the message on their phone or in their email, do not share this code with anyone, the social engineering tactic is I'm going to impugn your trustworthiness. And because you're a good person and a decent person and an honest person, you are going to feel uh, emotionally obligated to say, no, no, I am a good person. So you share that code, despite the fact that the instructions on it say not to. And I just, we just thought that was a really interesting twist on the, the social engineering aspect and, and kind of helps make it a little bit more concrete because I think in consumers' minds, it's still a little bit nebulous. What is the, what is exactly is social engineering? Thank you, Eva, for doing that. Um, social engineering, uh, is constantly changing, just like so many things in this field. So when I teach security, I teach this um, to apply to, to people and to businesses as well. So if you understand in your business how your role is unique and how your accesses to facilities, people, and information is unique, um, you will understand how your risk levels are, are different from the person who's sitting next to you or the person who is either a you know, title wise above you or below you. And that's very important to understand. And then the second thing I would say is when you start to answer the questions for yourself, 
you know, what accesses do I have to facilities, people, and information that are different from everybody else, you start to act in ways to protect those things. Just making sure that you understand also that the phone that you're holding in your hand or the computer that you work from every day um, is a million dollar device. To somebody else who doesn't have any of your information, it's got tons and tons of information that is valuable to them, either for reuse or for resale. Um, and when you start to think a little bit differently and skeptically about what would I do to get this information? Why would I want this information? And you sort of flip the script. Um, when they try to make you verify whether you're legit or not, as Eva gave us that example, um, that will give you pause and maybe help you understand that you don't need to defend yourself in that situation. The million dollar device. I want to steal that line. Do, may I borrow that from you Yeah, uh, when I'm talking to consumers? Because I think that's that's just a huge part of this equation is understanding. You may not think what you have is that valuable. I guarantee you, though, it is. What is it? If there's only one thing people need to do today that they need to do differently than the, probably what they did yesterday to protect themselves, what's that one thing? I'm going to answer this in a controversial way. <laughs> I'm going to say that I don't think I can tell anyone what the best thing to do is. Um and the reason I say that is because if after hearing this podcast or after hear, hearing lots of informational sessions during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, the best thing you can do is ask yourself, what are the two easiest things that I can start with today? And if that's using a password manager and running your updates, then do that. And then just like working out and as you work out more often and um with more weights and more endurance, you are able to withstand more, you can add in more security practices to be able to do those things. So I would say start with whatever is easiest for you today. And then all of the other things start to get easier with time. So understanding how to have backups and understanding your critical assets and understanding, um, you know, teaching phishing to, to your employees and things like that. All of those things become a little bit easier when you start with one step rather than, you know, uh, resigning yourself to security is complicated. It's intimidating. It's not for me. It's for everybody. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's basically the same thing that, that I was going to say for, for consumers is, you know, the one thing is understanding that you are a part of this system and that, uh, you are vulnerable. And so if you can take that and realize that, anything, any little thing that you do, it all adds up. And I love your lifting weights analogy, because I kind of use the same thing about hygiene. You know, if you went into your doctor's office and said, how can I get healthy? Your doctor isn't going to say, well, just brush your teeth every day and you're good. They're going to tell you all of these little things that you do on a regular basis that then become a habit. And that's how you know, you practice good physical hygiene and it's the same thing with cyber hygiene. So if it is changing that password on that account that you've had the same easy password on forever, or if it is updating your device, whatever that one thing is, you are now not the lowest hanging fruit. So don't be the low hanging fruit. Do something that's tolerable and make it a priority and then build from there. Eva, Zarmina, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us.
It was always a pleasure. Always. <laughs> you can learn more about how to protect your personal privacy as well as get help if you've been the victim of an identity crime by visiting the ITRC's website at idtheftcenter.org. And you can learn more from the NCSA about how to be cyber secure at staysafeonline.org. Be sure to join us next week for our weekly Breach Breakdown podcast and next month for another episode of The Fraudian Slip. Thanks for listening.